is the interaction of the spiritual gifts. And when I say interaction, I mean our interaction with each other. How your gifts serve me and how my gifts serve you. And is our interaction with each other through the gifts that God has given us glorifying to him? And so that's what we're going to try to explain and answer today. So let's go ahead and look at it. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, starting at verse 12, the Bible says, For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member but many. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I am not the eye, I am not of the body, is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now had God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God had tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. That there should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it. Or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ, and members in particular. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and ask him to direct our study this morning. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we do love you. Uh, we are so thankful for you and just the, the time we had to praise you in song, Lord. I, I, I pray that it was a sweet savor to you. I, I hope that you, you, you heard our heart in that. And Lord, I pray now as we begin to look at this, these verses of your word, Lord, that you would prepare us even now for what you have for us. And that you will teach us something this morning as only you can. Lord, I pray your Holy Spirit has free reign in our lives to do his work. Lord, I pray that everything that is said is true to your word, and I pray that it is glorifying to you and that you are honored in it. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, as you read this passage, I think uh, an obvious theme develops. As verses 12 through 27 provide the boundaries of an analogy that Paul clearly wants us to understand. And that analogy is the body as a picture of a spiritual truth, that is necessary for the administration of ministry. See, the body of Christ provides the framework and interaction necessary for believers to be able to properly use the gifts given to them by the Spirit of God. And that's really a big deal because those gifts are the only means to, to really fulfill the plan God has for your life. And I will continue to explain what I just said, but but that really might be the most important statement of this entire message. This was obviously an important point to Paul and something he really wanted to drive home. And I say that because just by way of observation, the word body is used 18 times 
in the 16 verses we just read. And this is probably obvious, but for you Bible study students out there, that's something to take note of. And this analogy or metaphor of a body, of the body of Christ as the church, is a very, very interesting one, one worthy of your study. You see, there are a number of metaphors used for the church in the New Testament. In fact, there are at least seven of them. I won't say, you know, 100% that these are the only ones, and some people might look at them a little bit differently, but I think these are the seven primary pictures of the church. So let me, let me give them to you. As you study out your New Testament, you will find that, that the church is referred to as a bride, as an army, as a flock, as a kingdom, as a household or a family, as a building or a temple, and as a body, what we see here in 1 Corinthians 12. Those are the primary pictures of the church in the New Testament. And we're not going to take the time to really do the study. It's not our main focus today. But I, but I want you to know, I want to show you very quickly, that if you were to take the time to study these out, you will notice that, that in all of the cases except the last one, there is an equivalent picture in the Old Testament as it relates to the nation of Israel. And so like I said, we're not going to do the study, but humor me for a minute and let me give you a very quick rundown. So starting with bride, many of you know that we are the bride of Christ. You see that in Ephesians, many other places. Um, well, Israel is also a spouse to God. In Isaiah 54, verse 5, the Bible says, For thy maker is thine husband. The Lord of hosts is his name, and thy redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. The God of the whole earth shall he be called. And with respect to an army, the book of 2 Timothy tells us that we are in, to endure hardness as a good soldier. And then we see as we, we study the, the end times prophecy in the book of Revelation, that in Revelation chapter 19, we are the army that will be returning with the Lord at his second coming. Then in Exodus chapter 7, verse 4, we see this verse, says, But Pharaoh shall not hearken unto you, that I may lay my hand upon Egypt and bring forth mine armies and my people, the children of Israel, out of the hand of Egypt by great judgments. And third, we know that we are Christ's flock. You see that in the book of John and many other places. But speaking of the nation of Israel, in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 11, the Bible says, He shall feed his flock like a shepherd. He shall gather the lambs with his arm and carry them in his bosom and shall gently lead those that are with young. And then we have kingdom. And, and this is worthy of a long discussion that we're not going to do, we're not going to have today. Um, but let's just say that, that the nation of Israel is part of a physical kingdom of heaven, just as the kingdom of God is inside believers in Christ. And, and you'll just have to take my word for that or do your own study. I'm not going to give you the verses. There's not time. And Galatians 6.10 talks about believers being a part of a household of faith. Israel is also a household. Jeremiah 33.17, For thus saith the Lord, David shall never want a man to sit upon the throne of the house of Israel. And in the same way that we are a building, a tabernacle made without hands, according to 2 Corinthians 5.1, a temple, according to 1 Corinthians 6, whose foundation is Christ, according to 1 Corinthians 3. Listen, the nation of Israel had no connection to God as they were moving through the, the, the wilderness and then got established in Canaan, except through their building, through the tabernacle, and then through the temple. 
And you see these metaphors and analogies of the church and Israel overlap, and there are a lot of correlations until you get to the body. And you don't see that in the Old Testament. Christ does not have a body in the Old Testament. This is something new, and it's something unique, and it's something for us, for the church, for believers in Jesus Christ. And this very unique analogy is designed to help us understand how the church is supposed to function. Paul stands before us a human body and draws lessons from it all through the rest of the chapter as to its parallel with the functioning of the body of Christ. But here's what you also have to understand. It is more than a mere figure of speech to say that the church is the body of Christ. It is a picture that God uses, but it is so much more than that. And it's something that God takes very seriously. And the church is so much his body by which he works today that he has given us this visual aid to live in and walk around in and examine and think through what is the meaning of the church as his body. That is where Paul begins in verse 12. For as the body is one and hath many members, he says, so also is with Christ. And notice, it is not, so also is with the church. It doesn't say that because it is the church and Christ that constitutes the body of Christ. If you were to stand in front of a mirror, I'm sure most of you did this morning. I mean, looking out, maybe a couple of you didn't, but for the most part, <laughs> everybody stood in front of a mirror and examined themselves before you presented yourselves to us this morning. But as you look at your body, you should be struck by the fact that it's divided kind of into two major sections. There is the head and the torso. The head is the control center of the body, while the torso is the biggest parts and all the members, our arms, our legs, they are attached to our torso. Well, this is especially designed to help us understand how the church is to function. The whole body plus the head constitutes the body of Christ. And we know Christ is the head. We saw this back in chapter 11, but in case that didn't convince you, there are plenty of other verses that say just that. One being Colossians 1.18 that says, And he is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead. I think we know who that is. That in all things he might have the preeminence. So I think that should clear up any confusion. Jesus is the head of the body. And we've talked about this, but obviously the, the head is the most important piece to the body without the head. There is no life. Lose an arm or a toe or a finger, you can still live. Lose your head. It's over. You understand this. It isn't brain surgery. No, oh, come on. That was funny. Get it? Brain? No, man, that's all right. It, it really wasn't funny. And Jennifer will be sure to tell me that after the service, I'm sure. But as I was saying... The head is the control center of the body, so Christ is the head, we make up the rest. And listen, this is really an amazing statement. 
here that, that we are part of Christ. And make no mistake about it, Paul says what he means and he means what he says. We, the church, constitute the means by which Christ functions within the world. And it is very important that you hold that concept clearly in your mind if you really want to understand how the church works. It is a body with many members, yet it is only one body. That's verse 12 again. For as the body is one and hath many members, and all the members of that one body being many are one body, so also is Christ. You see, it's not many bodies, it's many members, all tied together by sharing the same life, and they are tied with the head so that they function as his means of expressing his life in this world. And you express his life as you exercise your spiritual gifts. And that is what this is all about. But here is the question that you have to start with. Are you part of the body? And that brings us to our first point this morning. The interaction of spiritual gifts starts with inclusion. It starts with inclusion. You see, you have to be included in the body before you even get any spiritual gifts. We were not physically born into the body of Christ as infants. The body of Christ does not consist of everybody in the world, only certain people. So the truth is that not everyone is a part of God's family. There is an inclusion process. That is what we see in verse 13. It says, For by one Spirit are we all baptized into one body, whether we be Jews or Gentiles, whether we be bond or free, and have been all made to drink into one Spirit. For the body is not one member, but many. So what we see here is that the inclusion process is a baptism. The inclusion process into the body of Christ is a baptism. And now there is great controversy regarding this baptism. And really there's great controversy regarding baptism in general. And much of that confusion stems uh, from the fact that folks don't understand that there are actually seven baptisms described in the Bible. And we don't have time to go through all of them, but what I want you to know is that this baptism in 1 Corinthians 12, 13 is what is called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Like I said, this is a doctrinal tripping point for many people, this mysterious baptism of the Holy Spirit. But listen, it is very clearly defined for you right here what it means. The baptism of the Holy Spirit is God's Holy Spirit placing a believer into the universal body of Christ. That's what we just read. By one Spirit are we all baptized into one body. This is the one true baptism that Paul talks about in the fourth chapter of the book of Ephesians. When he said in verses 4 through 6, There is one body and one Spirit, even as ye are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. 
So how do you get into the body of Christ? Well, it's by one spirit you are baptized. And that happens the moment you place your faith in the finished work of Jesus Christ for salvation. And let me tell you, if you've never done that, if, if there's never been a time in your life when you placed your faith in Jesus Christ and his finished work on the cross, then you are not a part of the body of Christ. It doesn't matter how much you have come to this church. It doesn't even matter how much you've given to this church. It only matters where your faith stands. It only matters if you've been spiritually baptized. And you've only been spiritually baptized if by grace you've been saved through faith in Jesus Christ. And listen, we'll get into this a little bit more next week. But it's not accompanied by tongues or healings or fire or even necessarily a chill down your spine. In fact, at your spiritual baptism, you are made to be a part of the body of Christ even if you don't feel it. Because that's what the Bible says. Galatians 3, verses 26 and 27 for, says, For ye are all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as have been baptized into Christ have put on Christ. What a great truth that is. This doctrine of our spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit. And really what that should do then is bring to life for you the meaning of water baptism that you see us do in this church. Like I said before, there are actually seven baptisms in the Bible. Water baptism is one of them. And, and, and in the same way that the spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit gets you into the body of Christ, water baptism gets you into a local assembly. That's why water baptism is so important, because to have spirit baptism without water baptism is a failure to picture to the local body your position in the ideal universal body. I hope that makes sense. You see, at the bottom line, you can't serve God by circumventing the structure. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 5 says, Know ye not? And so many of us, as we're baptized into Jesus Christ, we're baptized into his death. Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death. And like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in the newness of life. For if you've been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. That is the picture. Baptism is really, really important. It just has to be understood and placed in context to know what's being talked about. Then in verse 13, Paul goes on to say that it does not make any difference what your origin is, whether you're Jew or Gentile, you're bond or free. We have been all made to drink into one spirit. And I want you to notice in verse 13 the word all occurs twice. We all were baptized. We all were made to drink. So we've already talked about baptism. Let's, let's talk about being made to drink into one spirit because the inclusion process is a baptism but it's also a drinking and and we're just going to move through this quickly it's not complicated this means to be indwelt by the spirit of god you see when you drink a glass of water for example you take the water into yourself when you drink into the spirit you take the spirit 
into yourself as you are indwelt by him. Jesus explained this in John chapter 7, verses 37 through 39. He said, in the last day, that great day of the feast, Jesus stood and cried, saying, If any man thirst, let him come unto me and drink. He that believeth on me, as the scripture has said, out of his belly shall flow rivers of living water. But look at this parenthesis in verse 39. But this spake he of the Spirit, which they that believe on him should receive. For the Holy Ghost was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. So this passage in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, and, and comparing Scripture with Scripture, clearly establishes for us that all believers are both baptized by and indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And whether you know it or not, that is good stuff right there. I'm dropping some truth on you this morning. I'm not sure if you're awake yet, but that's good stuff there. And I mean that only because this is important stuff to grasp. It's important to understand. Jesus tried to explain it to his disciples when he taught them about the coming of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 14. Jesus told his disciples that when he was gone, a comforter would come, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive. And then he said this in John 14, 20. At that day ye shall know that I am in my Father, and ye in me, and I in you. And this is what you find fulfilled in 1 Corinthians 12 in regard to the Holy Spirit. When the Spirit baptizes us into the body of Christ, he puts us in Christ. You and me. He joins our life with his. He becomes our source of existence, our source of strength. We are part of him, part of his body. Then we are indwelt, when we are indwelt by the Spirit, we have been all made to drink into one spirit, you find the fulfillment of the Lord's words, I in you. That is the power by which we are to live. So it is this dual ministry of the Holy Spirit, baptizing us into the body, us in him, and filling us with his spirit, him in us, that we are both in Christ and he is in us. Listen, that constitutes the mystery and the marvel of the church. That is what the church is. It is not just a group of religious people gathered together to enjoy a worship service. It is a group of people who share the same life, who belong to the same Lord, who are filled with the same Spirit, who are given gifts by that same Spirit, and who are intended to function together to change the world by the life of Christ as his body. That is the work of the church. That's what you signed up for when you placed your faith in Jesus and were baptized into the body of Christ. And it's at this point, many people think, whoa, hold up a minute. Because I'm good with being saved. I'm not sure about all that other stuff. I don't even know what I have to offer. I don't even know if I have any gifts. Or others think, you know, this is kind of a personal thing. I don't really want to get too involved with others. I just want my own relationship with God. The way I want to do it. Paul answers both of those objections in the upcoming verses of this passage. As he clearly defines how the body functions through the interactions of spiritual gifts. 
So the interaction of spiritual gifts starts with an inclusion. You have to be part of the body. But then second, the interaction of spiritual gifts stamps out insignificance. Look at verse 15. If the foot shall say, because I am not the hand, I am not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? And if the ear shall say, because I'm not the eye, I'm not of the body. Is it therefore not of the body? If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? But now hath God set the members, every one of them in the body, as it hath pleased him. And if they were all one member, where were the body? But now are they many members, yet but one body. See, Paul directly attacks the objection of insignificance when it comes to your place in the body. And listen, I, I wonder how many people in this room this morning have said to themselves at one time, you know, I love to come to church. I don't feel there's anything I can do. I can't contribute to the work of the church because I don't have any abilities. I don't have any gifts. Others know so much more than I do or whatever. Now, I promise you that I'm not trying to be unsympathetic to feelings of inadequacy. In fact, I know those feelings quite well. But Paul's response to that line of thinking is very clear. Paul says, if your foot would say, listen, I, I can't do all the things a hand does. That hand is so multifaceted. It's hooked onto that flexible arm and it's just used all the time. Can't wiggle my toes like the hand can wiggle the fingers. I just can't do what the hand can do. Therefore, I really don't belong in the body. Now, that would be ridiculous, wouldn't it? That does not make the foot any less a part of the body. The foot is just deceiving itself. If the ear says, because I can't see like an eye, I'm not part of the body, the ear is deceiving itself. It is absolutely part of the body. And using this analogy, Paul is saying that if you are a member of this church and a member of the body of Christ, and you say to yourself, well, because I can't stand up and preach or teach or lead a ministry, there's really nothing I can do in the body of Christ. You are deceiving yourself. You have not changed reality at all. You are still a part of the body. You have just shut your eyes to truth. So you need to open them to see the part God has given you. Take encouragement from Paul and adopt his Philippians 4.13 mentality with respect to how God can use you through the spiritual gifts he's given you. That verse says, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. You can do the part God's called you to do in the body because he gives you the resources. That's what the Bible says. And you are strengthened by that. You see, the word is which and not who. Some of you will get that. So you have to know that there are no insignificant members of the body. And yet as I make that statement, I know, I know that insignificant thinking still persists. And I believe, believe the reason for this kind of thinking is because we have the wrong idea of what the work of the church actually is. 
This is why people then begin to feel insignificant. I believe there's a widespread misconception today that the only work of the church is just what happens on Sunday morning, where we enjoy learning from the scriptures and worshiping and fellowshipping with one another. And so if you don't have a role in what goes on here on Sunday, then you, don't, you feel like you don't have a role in the body. But listen to me very carefully. As important as Sunday is, that is not the totality of the work of the church by any means. Listen, the work of the church is to heal the brokenhearted out of the world, to give deliverance to the captives, to open the eyes of the blind, to preach the good news of the gospel to all those that are without. That's what the body of Christ has been called to do, to encourage, to strengthen, to heal people through the gospel message, to deliver them from the guilt, the loneliness, the misery, and the bondage that sin has on their life. That's what the work of the church is. And it doesn't only go on in here on Sunday mornings. It goes on out there. And it goes on in the jails on Tuesday and the well on Tuesday night and Wednesday morning and Wednesday night life groups. It goes on at new beginnings on Thursday night. It should go on in your life every day wherever you are. This, what we're doing here, is just part of the training program. We do not come to church to fulfill the work of the church. We come here to get ready and prepared to fulfill it out there. And if you have that in mind, then, then there is definitely a part for every member without exception. That's what Paul is arguing here. You're only fooling yourself if you say that because you cannot lead or teach or preach or sing or whatever that you're, that you're not a part of the body and you don't have a function within it. You're only fooling yourself if that's what you believe. Paul says in verse 17, If the whole body were an eye, where were the hearing? If the whole were hearing, where were the smelling? What a ridiculous body if everybody did the same thing. And if the work of the church only consisted of a handful of things that people do on Sunday morning. Man, if that's what you think, you have it wrong. If there are only a few jobs making up the work of the church, then I believe we have a terrible misunderstanding of the intent of God in the body of Christ. There are many jobs in the work of the church. Many gifts are to be employed. They're not only to be employed here. Some of them are, but not all. And you should employ them right where you are, wherever you live. That's where the work of the church goes on. And I know I'm hitting this over and over, but I so want to get this across to you. I think we've been so brainwashed with this idea that the work of the church is their job. And we've lost the real concept of Christ at work in the world through you and through me as his body. That's verse 18. But now if God set the members, every one of them in the body... As it hath pleased him. That means that wherever God has you, in this church, in your home, at your job, is the very place God wants you to exercise the gifts he has given you to do the work of the church as a member of the body. He set the members of the body where he chose. And verse 19, And if they were all one member, where were the body? 
Listen, I hope this is clear. Because I should forever settle the question of feeling insignificant as part of the body. You cannot, you cannot say to yourself, there is no place for me. Because there is. You're calling God a liar, if that's what you're saying. So you shouldn't not serve because you feel insignificant. But you also shouldn't, not, I know that's a, you know, double negative there, but I know you shouldn't not serve because you want to be on your own. That's what Paul addresses next in our text. So point number three is the interaction of spiritual gifts shuts down independence. So not only does it stamp out insignificance, it shuts down independence. Look at verse 21. And the eye cannot say unto the hand, I have no need of thee. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. Nay, much more those members of the body which seem to be more feeble are necessary. And those members of the body which we think to be less honorable, upon these we bestow more abundant honor. And our uncomely parts have more abundant comeliness. For our comely parts have no need. But God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. There should be no schism in the body, but that the members should have the same care one for another. And whether one member suffer, all the members suffer with it, or one member be honored, all the members rejoice with it. Now ye are the body of Christ and members in particular. And really, this just gets to the entire the, the theme of this study. We is greater than me. It is the power of community. I think Jeff told you last time, there's really no better chapter that outlines that theme more than this chapter, more than 1 Corinthians chapter 12. And the point here is that the message of the body of Christ is the message of one. We are one. We are one in Christ. So listen, there's to be no such thing as an isolated believer. There's no believer who is not a part of the body who is just sitting over here by himself. You're in the body. You're part of it just as much as I am or anybody else. I told you earlier that the word body is used 18 times in these 16 verses. The word one is used 10 times. We read this earlier, but let me remind you of what Ephesians chapter 4, verses 4 through 6 says. There is one body and one spirit even as ye are called into one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. One, 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 one. Seven times there. Listen, the message of the body of Christ is the message of one. And that was one of the problems with the church at Corinth. You remember back to chapter 1? They were dividing up between Paul and Apollos and Peter, and then even some of them said, oh, listen, I, the real holy ones, oh, I just follow Christ. And the point is they were all wrong because they didn't understand the body. They didn't understand the church to be one. That's why Paul emphasizes our oneness. The church is an assembly of redeemed people who owe their distinct existence, their life together to the fact that they were by one spirit put into one body and indwelt by this one same spirit. We're not separated believers, my friends. We are one. 
Listen, the church is not like playing golf. Golf is a very interesting sport. I do love it. But just by nature of the sport, golfers are independent. A golf tournament is a struggle of individuals pitted against each other. The golfers all rely on their own abilities to try to beat out the other man. Listen, that's not the church. Church is like football. Last time I was up here, I gave you that beautiful example how smooth the Kansas City Chiefs offense runs. I mean, it's a wonderful picture. Quarterback's the head of the offense. He's doing what the coach says. You remember it. Don't make me say it again. And by the way, I don't want to talk about the Patriots game. I'm not bitter about it. I still want to talk about it. But here's the point. I'm afraid many congregations and many Christians are more like golfers. With everybody going out on their own, paying no attention to not valuing what others in the body are doing. And that's not how we're supposed to do it. We're a body, we're to function as a body. And this is the beauty of how God set things up. We're one, and yet we all have our own role, and we all have our own gifts. We saw that last time in verses 4 through 6. Now, there are diversities of gifts, but the same Spirit. And there are differences of administrations, but the same Lord and there are diversities of operations, but it is the same God which worketh all in all. So there are diversities of gifts, but one spirit. And there are diversity of members, but one body. And it's that diversity that actually brings us unity. It's the diversity that provides the oneness. Listen to what Paul says in Ephesians 4, verses 11 through 13. And he gave some apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers. Why? For the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ, till we all come in the unity of the faith. So the diversity of gifts, you'll see, you'll see those verses again next week, brings unity when done right. And when we understand that, we're able to get out of our mind this concept of independence in the body. It's just not the way God set it up to work. All parts of the body are important. Even the parts which seem to be weaker and uncomely, they are indispensable. We need all of you. We see people with the, gifts of help, the gift of helps, for example. Those people who seem to be able to see what is needed. And they know what needs to be done and they just get it done. And food needs to be served, or chairs need to be set up, a house needs to be cleaned, some ministry needs to be helped. And they're able to do it, and they enjoy doing it. And some might think, oh, well, they're nice to have around, but really, you know, how important are they to the work of the church? After all, I mean, they don't lead anything, they're not teaching, they're not singing. I don't see them necessarily anywhere on Sunday. But listen, do you know what would happen in this church if those people ceased using the gift of helps? We would very soon be unable to preach and teach. We would run into each other, stumble over everything. Nothing would get done right. The body wouldn't get served. Our older saints, those in need, wouldn't get helped and provided for. Things would fall apart. Let me give you an example. This has been a number of years ago. But the last time there was an assassination attempt on one of our presidents was in 1981 with, with President Reagan. Many, many of you, some of you are too young, but many of you remember that. He was shot March 30th, 1981. And his recovery took a while. 
President Reagan left the hospital on the 13th day after he was shot. But initially after his release from the hospital, he only worked two hours a day. He did not lead a cabinet meeting until day 26. He did not leave Washington until day 49 after he was shot. And he did not hold a press conference until day 79. And yet, the country went on relatively smoothly. But just, I want you to think about something. Just think about in those 79 days, between the day he was shot to the day he had his first uh, press conference. Just think if all the trash collectors decided to leave their jobs and not pick up your trash. If they had done that, the country would have been in chaos. So you have the most important guy in the country whose absence, you know, while it was an absence, has little overall impact, yet it does not diminish his importance. And you have a group of trash collectors, a profession made to seem lowly, made fun of, and if they happened to have not done their job during that time, we would have felt the impact much more. Listen, whether you are the president or a trash collector, we are all in this together. That's what Paul keeps telling us. Verse 24, for our comely parts have no need, but God hath tempered the body together, having given more abundant honor to that part which lacked. And there should be no schism in the body, that the members should have the same care one for another. And when you begin to understand what the church is, as God sees it to be, this will be the result. You'll begin to have the same care one for another. The, the schisms in the body will decease. The unity that we are to have in Christ will, will begin to bubble to the surface. So you can stop saying that only certain gifts matter. You will see that God works the whole body together in a beautifully articulated and coordinated way if we would just be obedient. And listen, I want you to think about this for a second. There is nothing in the world more incredible, more exquisite, more intricate than the human body. It is the most beautifully balanced and amazing instrument the world has ever seen. And I know what they're trying to do with robots. But all the computers in the world put together cannot do what a single human body can do. And it works that way because there is an amazing and indescribable designer and creator behind it. And he's created it in that amazing way to picture his body. The church. This church. And when the church is functioning properly, the way God intended, there is no more beautiful thing in the world. So as we begin to bring this to a close, let me ask you, are you a part of that beauty? I mean, first of all, are you included? We talked about that. Have you been spiritually baptized and made to drink into one spirit, into the body of Christ? And again, I'm not talking about water baptism. That's not how you get saved. I'm talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit that occurs when you give your life to Jesus in faith. But assuming most of you are included... What are you doing to show the beauty of his body to the world? How are you the arms and feet of Christ?
to the person sitting next to you, to the person living next to you, to the person working next to you. Listen, this was Jesus' prayer for you when he lived on this earth. And this is an amazing thing. Jesus desperately wanted everything we've been talking about this morning for you, for his glory. We see it in John 17. And I love this passage because you get some insight into the heart of Jesus. I want you to listen to him. He's praying to his father. Listen to what he prays for. And he could have prayed for anything. But listen to his prayer. John chapter 17, verses 20 and 21. Neither pray I for these alone, not just his disciples that were there, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word. That's you and me. And why was he praying for us? That they all may be one. As thou, Father, art in me, and I in thee, that they also may be one in us, that the world may believe that thou hast sent me. See, the body of Christ is using your spiritual gifts so that the world sees Christ. And when we're not working together as one, they don't see it near as clearly. When you feel like you're insignificant or you're independent, the world won't see it. The gifts support the gospel. Are you working it? Do you know what will convince the world of who Jesus is? When we're one, functioning as the body that God designed. That's the picture he set up for us to be a part of. Jesus continues in prayer in John 17 and says this in verse 22. And the glory which thou gavest me, I have given them, that they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Listen, Jesus put his glory in us. You know how he did that? We were baptized into the Spirit and indwelt by the Spirit. The glory of God is in us. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is to be our point of oneness, not even for us, so that the world sees. So the world sees Him. Does the world see Him in you? Are you a functioning part of the body, of Christ's body, that he gave you the privilege to be a part of him in, in you and you in him, to live his life in this world? What are you doing with that? So let me say this and I'll be done. Do you know when we're really going to turn this world upside down? When we're really going to shatter the complacency and the apathy to Christ in this world? When we're functioning as God designed. When we are one, when we are playing our part in the body. So I'll ask you again. Are you doing your part? And if not, you have a responsibility of limiting what God can do in this world. 
your free will to not participate as God has, 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 has planned for you to do. Listen, this is, this is how powerful God is. That he allows your free will to limit his work in this world. That's crazy. Man, shame on us. Shame on us for doing that because we won't take our part. Quit messing up God's picture. And let's interact together for God's glory. I'm going to pray. The praise team is going to come back up. We're going to close out the service with one final song. And that's your time to commune with the Lord. If there's something you need to get right with him, man, don't wait. Do it today. Use this time of worship to get your heart right with the Lord and to find your place in his body. And if you don't know where to start, that's okay. We can help you. You say, I don't even know what my gift is. That's okay. Come back next week. We'll lay them all out for you. And then just start moving. And if you are sincere, God will direct you and we will help you. I promise Our time is short, so let's get this right before it's too late. Dear Heavenly Father, God, we do love you, and and what a privilege it is to be called a child of God, to be placed in your body. And Lord, that's a great privilege, but with that privilege comes responsibility. And um, and Lord, I I, I pray that for those of us that that haven't taken that responsibility as seriously as we should, that we'll examine our lives today. And Lord, that we will do our part in uh, serving you with our life as part of your body and that we will be an honoring vessel to you. We don't want to be a vessel of dishonor. We want to be a vessel of honor. And Lord, we're, we're thankful to be a part of this church. We're thankful to be a part here, a local assembly. Of, we're saved. We're part of the body of Christ, the one body. But Lord, you've set this church apart to be able to serve you here where we're at and lord help us to to see that to see the beauty that we have here lord to to not let the the schisms and the the the, just the divisions get in that we can be one together as we serve you with our life lord we love you we're so thankful for you we ask all this in jesus precious name amen